Hello, I'm Stuart Preston, and this is the Stoned Ape Reports, where I have conversations with those who have changed their lives with the power of psychedelics. In this episode, I had the honor of speaking with Kate Kincaid, a licensed professional counselor who offers ketamine-assisted therapy as well as integration services. Kate shares her experiences with psychedelics, starting with the Zendo project at Burning Man, as well as a psychedelic-like near-death experience with childbirth. It's all about non-ordinary states of consciousness. So let's hear from Kate. Kate, thank you so much for coming here on the uh, Stoned Ape Reports. I'm excited to to talk to you and learn more about uh, what you have going on with your psychedelic-assisted therapy and and some of your own personal stories. So first of all, thank you for, for coming on. Thank you, Stuart. I'm excited to be here too. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, maybe we could talk a little bit about, um, start off with psychedelic assisted therapy, like what, and you can, you can expand on all your stuff. Cause I know you have a, a, a wide breadth of, of services you offer. So maybe give an introduction about what you do and how you do it. You want to mention the practice, you know, do that. And then, then kind of finish up with the, the psychedelic assisted therapy part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I run a group private practice in Tucson, Arizona called Tucson Counseling Associates. And we mostly right now, we do a lot of things, but we do a lot of um, psychedelic integration therapy, which is a little different than psychedelic assisted therapy. Hmm. Integration is more just talking about people's previous experiences that they're either doing on their own or in legal context. And we're just helping them kind of process and Mm -hmm. make sense of their experiences. But we are currently creating more programming for um, ketamine assisted psychotherapy. So that Mm. would be where they actually are receiving the medicine with the presence of their therapist and talking about what's happening either in real time or immediately after the experience. Um, So that's something we're moving towards. So the ketamine therapy, I saw somewhere, I think that you, you do it individually and in groups. Is that right? Yeah, that's the plan. Um, mostly right now, individually is what happens. Um, I, I work with a nurse practitioner who does a lot of this is like the majority of her practice. And she sits there the whole time with people. Um, and so I've sat in with her. But we're going to do it a little bit different where they get the prescription either from her or somebody else, another prescriber, and they ingest the medicine with their um their regular talk therapist who Mm -hmm. will be trained in, you know, non-ordinary states of consciousness and sitting with people as they go through that experience um, one-on-one. And then we also want to bring groups because I think groups are really powerful for healing. Is that the group, is it, they would actually all together be in that non-ordinary state of consciousness with ketamine together? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know how much you know about ketamine, but it's very internal. And so there wouldn't really be much talking or interacting during the psychoactive phase of it, but everybody's not throwing up in the buckets. (laughs) Yeah. But immediately after everybody, you know, can then share where they went and what they saw and how they Hmm. felt and, and talk together as a group afterwards. How long does a a ketamine uh, experience last? It varies. Um, it also it varies with route and how much you take, but I'd say around forty five minutes. Oh, okay, that, that's yeah, really so quick. So much shorter. Know, yeah, it is. It is a lot shorter. It's. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a little bit about ketamine because, as, as a result of you know having lost our son to to suicide, depression, mm-hmm. we we looked into 
ketamine therapy as uh, something that we can try to help people get access to, you know, mm-hmm. who are suicidal. We have a family friend who went through it and um, mm-hmm. had remarkable results. But I've also heard there's a difference between the way ketamine gets into the body into how the experience can, can go. Does it, does it matter if it's um, eaten or infused or injected? Yeah, it, it varies. Um, so the bioavailability differs. So if you're injecting it like intravenously or um, intermuscular, that's the highest bioavailability. So you need lower doses because almost a hundred percent of the medicine is available to your body. Hmm. Um, if you, um, there's intranasal or sublingual. And if you take either of those routes, you need higher doses because it has to go through the mucous membranes and then it passes through the gut. And so there's a lot lower bioavailability and people, um, you know, there, when it goes through the gut, people have more, um, nausea or uncomfortable like secondary Mm. side effects whereas if it goes right into the bloodstream um there's less of that yeah interesting yeah i I was just thinking people please don't inject ketamine i mean inject uh ayahuasca if you're thinking i don't want to throw up don't don't no yeah totally different (laughs) okay so that's interesting so so uh-huh. you said you're you're going to be offering groups. So really, it's kind of it's almost like a an integration circle, a post journey integration circle where they all go through it together. Mm-hmm. And approximately forty five minutes later, they start coming out of it, and then they share their stories and they talk. And, and maybe the you get that group synergy part where they have common experiences, or somebody will say something that piques a little bit of a memory. That oh yeah, I did have that too, and then they kind of mm-hmm. get that benefit. Yeah, definitely. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I, I saw, and and uh, I'm not trying to, I'm not questioning you like like a news reporter, but you <laughs> said something like that you believe everyone has the answers to their problems, like inside of them. So as a counselor, mm-hmm. you know, is and using using ketamine and and the different methods you have, how do you think psychedelics can help somebody kind of uncover? something that they've, they've already got uh, an answer to within them? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I think there's a, there's a few different ways that happens. I, I think that I see that all the time when people talk about their experiences with different psychedelics. Um, there's this feeling of okayness or a feeling of understanding of themselves or the world um, that they don't have in their normal day-to-day functioning. But when they do go into the non-ordinary state of consciousness through psychedelics, they connect with that feeling of okayness um, and acceptance. And Mm. so there's actually some brain studies that explain why that happens. Um, I don't know, I'm not, that's not my expertise exactly, but I know that like with the default mode network, it gets quieted, you know, which is Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, our, you know, default, like our, our habits of mind, our, our ways that we get stuck, the patterns of rumination, the like, um, negative beliefs we have about ourselves, like those are all part of the default mode network. And when that kind of goes offline, you reconnect with like a much deeper and like all pervasive, like peace and love and understanding which sounds a little oh, that's where that comes from huh yeah yeah and so 
there it's explained, you know, even with um, fMRI, I can't even say it now, fMRIs, <laughs> they can measure blood flow in the brain. And like that part of the brain is quieter during psychedelic use, you know? And so I think that's why people feel like reconnected to themselves and like they know what they need to do or they know, you know, who they are and that they're okay when they have these experiences. And do people ever come to you? Um, Cause you're talking really integration because people obviously are not coming in and doing ayahuasca or mushrooms or, you know what I mean? They're, they're ha- they may have been doing it uh, on their own. Mm-hmm. And then do they come to you after having done something on their own to help work through whatever it is that did come up out of their own um, yeah. quieted DMN? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, we see a lot of people doing that work. And what, how do you, do you think, cause there's a, there's a movement out there. I know the big thing with maps is the MDMA assisted psychedelic, you know, therapy where you've got somebody who's, who's taking MDMA and sitting there with a therapist with them. And you've got the John Hopkins, John Hopkins studies where, you know, the terminal cancer patients had psilocybin and had a, had a doctor or a person sitting there next to them mm-hmm. going through that. What do you think somebody who has their, their own journey, you know, maybe goes to South America and does ayahuasca or, you know, goes, you know, someplace legal because people don't do anything illegal. <laughs> you know, someplace right. Legal and has these experiences. They, they come back and talk to you, what, what do you see as a counselor that has changed or that they need to work on or work through? Because obviously something big can happen and they can have insights and they can have experiences that might be scary. But in your experience, when they come to you and sit down and, and, and go through a therapy session or an integration session, what are some of the things that you notice that have either or changed or awakened or, you know, mm-hmm. what, what's happening with them? I'd say the most common thing I see, and it just sticks out the most because I just love it every time I hear it, is when people explain that they felt the presence of themselves or like this like Hmm. connection to self, this like deeper, like undamaged core, perfect self, you know, I don't, there's so many different words that people use to describe it. Um, that they they felt like a direct connection to it and some that's something they don't feel very often or sometimes ever in their life they can't remember feeling that um and so i love when people talk about that and we just try to like anchor that in and like really dig into like what that felt like for them and how they explain what that was you know is that there all the time for them but it just gets clouded with some of their patterns of mind you know and some of those patterns of mind, I feel like I noticed that um, even even in ceremonies that I participated in, there's a load of trauma in that room. Yeah. You know, and so is, is that kind of part of what's clouding them? I mean, do you see trauma is, is a, oh, yeah. an overwhelmingly oh, yeah. common thing out there that people are trying to work through and they they get through it in under that non-ordinary state of consciousness and they can kind of be themselves without that trauma weighing down on them? Yes, Definitely. I mean, there's trauma is such a big thing. It's just like all I think about almost mm-hmm. <laughs> or all I see um, because it's so it's so pervasive. Like everyone has it, whether you've had whether you had a one time huge, we call it big T trauma 
or lots of little smaller T traumas. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, almost losing your life or being assaulted or anything like that. Like that, those are traumas, but there can be, you know, just kids that are sensitive and parents that are stressed can lead to like lots of little traumas over time. Mm -hmm. And then just living, you know, as an American or in our, our culture right now is traumatic for most people, you know? And so it's there and everyone, it needs to be acknowledged and processed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what, what led you to, you know, cause normally I shouldn't like the word normal. Well, quite often you come across somebody who's, who's a licensed professional as counselor uh -huh. and they may not even know, you know, about psychedelics, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's some people, I probably have told this story like every single episode, but I don't know. So I have a, a therapist and, and I told her about, you know, my plant medicine use. Her first question to me was, are you high right now? Oh, wow. Right. And, and I don't blame her for it, but there's just a, a lack of understanding out there. Uh -huh. And, and it turns out now she's actually going through the very early stages of, of MAPS protocol, you mm. know, and working with some of our local people here in Arizona that, you know, by name that mm -hmm. you share a name with. And so there's, the, you know, once somebody understands this and they go through there, but so I think it's probably not a norm, right? I mean, to go through your licensing and your, your work and your classes, I assume there's not a psycho psychedelic therapy class in your course load. No, not, there definitely wasn't in my program. No. So how did you end up here? How did you end up seeing the, the potential of, of these, these medicines and thinking that this was something that you wanted to be a part of? Well, I heard about maps in the Zendo project mm -hmm. um, at Burning Man. So I was at Burning Man um, in 2015 and saw it in my book of events happening. Um, and then I think the next year I was going to volunteer to work at the Zendo. Mm -hmm. um, and then I forget what happened. Some, something happened. No, it was the not the next year. It was the year after that I was going to, but then I ended up not going to Burning Man. And so... Mm. I didn't do it, but that was how I was introduced and just, yeah, basically reading everything maps was doing about, you know, kind of integrating it or bringing it more into the clinical field. And yeah. so I saw an opportunity for my, my professional life and my personal life. Cause per, like personally, I was interested in plant medicines and, you know, doing them recreationally and ceremonially, mm -hmm. ceremonially. Um, so yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I, I don't like to blast uh, traditional pharmaceuticals. I know in the in our world, plant medicine world, entheogen world, whatever, a lot of people like to 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 put up psychedelics and say these are superior to normal pharmacology, whatever. But um, you had mentioned to me that you had some thoughts about the commercialization and the medicalization. Uh -huh. of psychedelics and, and some trends you see coming. So where, where do you stand on those issues? And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm asking too many questions at once, but, <laughs> but keeping the indigenous ceremonial part, you know, as, as part of it, um, making sure it doesn't get too commercialized, mm -hmm. understanding the benefits, or, or maybe you think, 
yeah, we got to get rid of pharmaceuticals because they're just, all they're doing is, is, you know, damaging people. I mean, I don't really know where you stand, but what, what are your thoughts on, on all these things? Wow. That's such a big, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Question. let's do one at a time. Pick whatever one you like best. Yeah. Um, well, one thought I was having as you were asking that is just, you know, there's, there's kind of a debate. I, mean, I don't even know if it's a debate between, you know, like synthetic compounds and plant medicine, like naturally occurring plant medicines. And I think most people who know about all of it understand there's a place for both. And I, that's how I feel about it. There's a place for both of them. Um, mm. I've heard it described like, you know, if you take like synthetic mescaline versus, you know, like peyote or San Pedro cactus, it's, it's like taking either a glucose tab or eating a brownie, like where the brownie has all these different compounds and chemicals that make it such a rich, like deep experience yeah. where the glucose will affect the body similarly, but it's, it's just this one compound in the whole mix. Um, and so that analogy kind of put it into perspective for me that it's not going to be the same experience, but it's still a beneficial experience. And one of the things I'm passionate about is conservation. And, you know, these medicines, many of them, they take a long time to grow. It's not sustainable for everyone to be using them as much as they are. And so the synthetic options can help prevent like the plants or the plants from being extracted too much mm -hmm. or overused. Um, and so I think it's both, like, I think we need both. Um, so I'm not one or the other, but the medicalization, the thing I'm concerned about with that is just like, you know, with some of these companies, they're trying to patent like these compounds that they're making and then spike the price way up where like, for example, psilocybin, they grow easily, they grow quickly, it's cheap. Um, but then, you know, in these trials, they're, they've made a synthetic compound that then they're going to patent and then they can charge a bunch of money for people to use that compound. Um, and so that's a concern. It's just basically when or capital capitalism, sorry, I can't talk yeah. today, comes into it, it just gets scary. Um, and so yeah. I don't know if that answers the whole question or not, but... Yeah, no, it's, uh, it is interesting because there's also, um, you know, with Hamilton's pharmacopoeia or whatever his TV show is, he just had an episode about something that's, that's near and dear to, to you and I, which is the Sonoran Desert Toad. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting because he came up with a whole synthetic, because he's a, he's a chemist, I guess. Mm -hmm. And he came up with a whole synthetic version of 5-MeO-DMT mm -hmm. and presented it to this whole audience. And the whole audience sat there on their hands looking at him like, you know, that's terrible. It has to be natural. And all the mm -hmm. practitioners were like, it's natural. And so we were like, yeah, but these poor toads, and we've had three or four really bad monsoon seasons, you mm -hmm. know, and, and there, there's got to be suffering. And so find a way to right. conserve that, conserve the, the vines in South America. And, you know, right. you're right. There's just the, the peyote is a huge problem. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think you did. I think you did answer that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you have any thoughts. I'm, I'm also, really into consciousness. I, and so when somebody says non-ordinary states of consciousness, then my ears perk up and I'm like, well, let's talk about that for an hour. <laughs> yeah. I love talking about that. Yeah. So what, when you say non-ordinary states of consciousness, what, what does that, what does that mean to you? And, and how does that relate to psychedelics and how does that relate to therapy? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, lo- I love that term because I feel like it's an umbrella term and psychedelics fit underneath it. But there's right. so many other ways that we experience non-ordinary states of consciousness. And some of them happen, you know, spontaneously. Some happen intentionally. Um, and I think it's it's about empowering people like you can you can achieve these you can click out of an ordinary state of consciousness or the default mode network yourself anytime in these ways, you know, like yeah. with meditation and breath work. I think that's so empowering to teach people that that you don't need a medicine to do that or you don't need to fly to another country and go through, you know, a whole month of diet and, you know, and, and that's still, I'm not putting down that at all. I think it's, right, right. that's just one way that you can do it. And there's all these other ways. Um, and I think it also validates people's experience. Like there's some people that don't know anything about psychedelics and not interested in psychedelics, but they also have experienced these concepts of non-ordinary states of consciousness and and had the same sort of benefits from it and so I, I like talking about that as an umbrella term yeah and I mean I guess you could also say dreams are a version of it yeah. or near-death experiences yeah yeah birth I talk I mean I just have I just had a baby 15 months ago I say just because it feels like it was like last week. (laughs) Um, But birth, I mean, I'd heard that, that birth is kind of psychedelic or it's definitely a, you're in an altered state of consciousness, but uh, I didn't know until I'd done it, you know, and it was definitely a non-ordinary state of consciousness that I'm still processing and integrating. Um, And my birth also actually turned into a near-death experience too. So it was like both birth and death in one. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. No, thank you. But I'm not sorry. It was amazing. Um, It's like, (laughs) (laughs) it was, it's scary. It was trauma, trauma, but it, but it was so meaningful and so interesting and taught me so much and like changed my life, you know? Yeah. Do do you, do you want to share anything from it? You know, I, I don't sure. know if you want to do a whole trip report or if you just want to share some highlights, but do, do you want to kind of talk yeah. about what happened in the non-ordinary states of consciousness and the near death part? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of how to share or what to share, but um, yeah. Because it's interesting. You know, I, I, uh, I follow the late Ron Doss and the philosophy of, you know, be here now. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he, that he talked about was, snapping out of like this reality mm-hmm. and obviously he was a big user of lsd that really helped him in the early days but mm-hmm. he, he lists in his book all these ways that you can snap out of this reality and experience an alternate reality and what we might call a non-ordinary state of consciousness mm-hmm. and childbirth was one of them mm-hmm. you yeah know? so you went through something i'll never understand <laughs> yeah well, it's interesting because I was reading, I, I like Ina Mae Gaskin. Um, I don't know if you know her, but she's a, a midwife. Um, so I was reading her book, you know, in the weeks before my birth. And, and she was talking about like different brain waves and different states of the labor and where your brain waves you can drop. I don't know them, but it's like theta, you get into theta or beta or you go down as you're going into the, um, as you get closer to delivering. And so I was already kind of expecting something to be happening with my brain waves, And I was listening to music that was supposed to like help 
drop you into those zones. And so I was already kind of playing with consciousness, you know, before I even went into it. And, but it, it did feel like, you know, just like a, taking a psychedelic, like once you have it in your body, you're kind of on the trip, you know, like my body took over for the birth and I was just trying to keep up or I was just trying to like accept and surrender, you know, but I did not feel like I was in control for much of it. It felt like something else, you know, whatever yeah. was, was in control um, where, you know, if you take the medicine, then you, you can point to the medicine taking you on a trip or the spirit of the medicine taking you on a trip. Um, so with birth, I don't know if it's, it's my body or the baby coming or what it was that was guiding the trip, but it was definitely a trip. Well, wow, that sounds, it sounds like a trip. It sounds like you prepared your set in your setting uh-huh. and then you just let go. Yeah tried tried <laughs> I yeah. tried it was so it was so hard because I mean and I even have a lot of experience with psychedelics and so I'm used to like oh this is not going how I planned and oh but I have to surrender <laughs> right now I had practice yeah. in that but I felt like birth was like next level for somebody wow. who already had practiced that or at least my birth was that and that particular birth because I also you know I I don't I think I've worked with my issues of control, but like one of the things I was trying to do with my birth was trying to like read everything and like plan for everything. And I was going to do a home birth. And so I had, you know, the room was set up like a month before the baby was even due. And like, I just was just doing a lot of preparation to ease my anxiety about knowing I was going into this ordeal (laughs) that I probably wouldn't have a lot of control over. And I was envisioning like a quiet, calm birth where I'm just, you know, breathing through each contraction. And, um, and I was even writing like my vision for it and just like trying to like make it so, but my birth was like the complete opposite of that. But it was mm-hmm. so healing in that way because it just kind of blew some of that preparation out. Like, I'm not saying preparation isn't important, but like surrender for me, at least, is so much more important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can do all the prep you want, but when you get into the ordeal, like, you really don't know exactly how it's going to go. Yeah. That's interesting. And then it sounds exactly like it, like a, psychedelic Mm -hmm. trip and then what uh so then something went wrong yeah so my blood pressure spiked or I had kind of it had been creeping up the last like couple weeks before my due date um and so I went to see my midwife my home birth midwife and my blood pressure was really high and I had a headache and she thought maybe I had preeclampsia so she wanted Mm -hmm. me to go to the hospital to be tested um And so I didn't even have a bag packed. So it was the day before my due date. So like, I was just so set on having a home birth that I didn't even consider packing a hospital bag. And so I just like threw some things in a bag and went and I was like, for sure going to leave. I was going to get this test and then I was going to go back home and have my baby. But um, when I got there, my blood pressure was so high. They're like, no, you're not, you're having your baby now or tonight. And um, Mm you're not leaving here until you've had your baby basically. Um, so that was really hard. I was just like having to surrender already, like, you know, just being off my birth plan. And I had such a sweet midwife who I used to work with because I used to work in uh, primary care as a, as a mental health person. And so I actually knew this midwife and she was 
just like holding me while I was crying. Cause I was just mm. like feeling the grief already of like being off my plan. And I just like, I have a lot of anxiety anyways. And so being off my plan was like really hard and scary. And she said something like you, everyone has three births, the one they plan for the one they have. And then the one they tell about, and she's like, mm. you're on your second one right now. <laughs> Cause you're not wow. having the birth you planned. Um, so that was kind of helpful too. Um, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, it was, but I w- I was also really set on having a having a non-medicated birth because I I wanted to have an ordeal. I wanted to be initiated is some of the words I was using. I was like I want to feel everything. I want to like remember everything um even though that's not true either. I didn't I don't remember a lot of things cuz it's just so intense. Like you're just in another world. Like once I come back to this world, I don't remember where I was, you know. Um but so I was pushing really hard for no Pitocin, which is the drug that mm-hmm. helps um, stimulate contractions. Um, so I refused that and was just waiting to go into labor myself. Um, and we waited all night and nothing really happened. They just kept monitoring my blood pressure. And then at like six in the morning, it just, I went from like totally fine, barely feeling contractions to like, contraction on top of contraction like mm. there's a monitor and there was I also have a weird thing with numbers so it was December 12th and I was due on the 13th um and there was 12 of us in the labor unit that night and so mm. and I could see everybody's contractions they had it all on the screen and everyone's was so like you know they had like a minute in between and it was like nice even peaks and you know and then I saw mine yeah. and it looked like a mountain range like it was just like so (laughs) jagged and like on top one on top of another and like I couldn't stress you out yeah I couldn't breathe I couldn't catch my breath because as soon as it was starting to pass and I would like try to take a breath then the next contraction would happen and so it was just like really frenetic and like all over the place and really overwhelming um and another thing about me is I'm kind of I'm pretty quiet or I don't want to like make too much noise or take up too much space. Um, Mm. But I was like screaming at the top of my lungs and like making all kinds of sounds and just like flopping around and like everybody, I had two of my best friends and my partner there with me and they were all like helping hold me up because I was just like not even able to like hold my body up. So it was really healing for me because it was so different than my default you know, it, it mm-hmm. felt like I just kind of like burst through some like barriers that I always have on myself. Um, so it's just like, same with like Burning Man. They say, you don't get the burn you want, you get the burn you need. It's kind of the same with birth. I think like you don't get the birth that you want, you get the birth that you need. And I, I that's something I've like telling myself as I'm processing this, like I got this complete opposite birth than I wanted, but it was like exactly what I needed. Um, and that is like psychedelics you go into yeah. it you know i've been in ceremonies where they're like okay set an intention <laughs> and then you do that and the psychedelics are like nope that's not what we're going to be working on <laughs> exactly it's like no this is the medicine that you need you need yeah. to scream and you need to flop around and like not worry about farting or pooping on everyone and just like yeah. do your thing which is like if I had, if somebody had described my birth to me before that birth, I would have been so terrified. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been like, I can't do it. I'm not doing that. 
Um, but it was so amazing because I did not care in the moment. I was just like, this is what I have to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It changes the perspective. It, and, and like you said, you're, you're in a different state of consciousness. Right. Right. Yeah. So that was all beautiful. And then the baby came and he was good. And we had this like half hour of like the golden hour, whatever, you know, everything was perfect. And then um, the near death experience came afterwards. Um, hmm. So I, you know, I, I hadn't peed or hadn't got up to pee. And she's like, you're going to have to get up to pee or I'm going to have to put a catheter in. And I was just like, what? And so I like got up to go pee <laughs> Um, and like so much blood came out. Like oh. I had been hemorrhaging actually. Yeah. Um, and, and we didn't know, and I didn't feel it. I felt great. I was just like laying down, you know, holding my baby and, um, none of us knew until I got up and then I, then things turned like pretty quickly and they had to like, um, they looked inside and there was like a lot of internal tearing. There was like, yeah. So anyways, this might be too, too much information, but no, that's, that's where the blood was coming from. <laughs> Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. And so we had to get the surgeon in and, and then I had to get an epidural, which I, you know, I really didn't want an epidural for the birth. Um, and I was kind of fighting it even then I was like, no, I don't, I don't want any drugs. And it's funny because my two best friends are people that I do a lot of psychedelics with. And they're like, Kate, you love drugs. Like just take the <laughs> drugs. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, I guess I'll take the drugs. And so, because uh. I was also getting worked up because I was like, you know, it was stressful. There was like a surgeon there and they were trying to do an epidural. And so they gave me, um, something to calm me down and then did the epidural and, and took me to the OR for like, to wow. me up. um, but I think it was like in the ORs where I, I feel like I was the closest to death. Like I could hear my heartbeat slowing down and it, it actually wasn't scary at all. It felt like, peaceful and like calming and I felt like this is like a choice point like I could I can let go and like trust that maybe they'll bring me back if my heart stops like I know that these people know how to do that and that's their job and there, there was like 10 people in the OR and so I'm 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 not alone I'm here with people but I also didn't want to take that chance because I literally just had a baby like down the hall who mm -hmm. I needed to get back to um and so, wow. yeah. And so I, I did some like fire breathing to like try to speed my own heart rate up and like stay alive basically. Um, or that's, that's in my mind, that's what I was doing. I don't know if that's really what was happening or not. I had lost a lot of blood. And so I was kind of in and out of consciousness. Um, but when I was conscious, that's what I was thinking. And so I was trying to like um, breathe quickly and fast and like talk to the anesthesiologist who was the only person on the other side of the veil with me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of how I describe it as like near death. It felt like a very easy, not, I don't want to say easy, but it just felt like it could easily have gone either way. And it felt like a choice and I felt sure of my choice to be here, but then it was a trip because afterwards I felt like I was so aware and even now I'm still so aware of how close we are to death all the time and how mm. how effortless sometimes a choice like that can be um like it, it's peaceful kind of when I'm when I was so close to that point it felt like I could have peacefully peacefully gone either way 
I don't know. Wow. That. And so how does that change your outlook on life? Think, Cause I never even thought about that until you just said it, how close we always are to, to death. We're really, mm-hmm. you know, a heartbeat away is what they say. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did, how did that affect? And I want to kind of two-step this. How, how has that affected your life and changed that? And you had mentioned that part of this was processing this and integrating this just like one would do with a, an, a psychedelic experience. So mm-hmm. um, how has it changed your life, you know, from, from this experience and then maybe start talking about what is integration? Yeah, I think it's changed my life. It, it's renewed my sense of wanting to be here or like, okay, so I made this choice and, and every day I'm making this choice, you know, like I'm not, on the OR table anymore. But like, if it is that close all the time, every day I'm choosing not to go there. Um, And so why? And what am I doing? And like, am I living the life that I want to be living so that I am choosing to be here for myself or my son or my, my other people in my life? Um, And so it's just kind of like, it's just more present, the Mm. choice to be here and the choice to like, do live my life the way that I want to, or the way that I'm proud of, or the way that has meaning for me. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Thanks. So when somebody has, you know, a psychedelic experience, they come to you and work with you. What is, what is the key to integrating that experience? Hmm. And what is integration? I mean, when we say, we're going to do integration, you know, or you've had this experience. I need to help you integrate it. What, what does that, what does that mean to integrate it? I think it means to, to make it real or to like live it, to turn it, to turn it into action or um, yeah, to, to bring it like down to earth kind of, or to bring it yeah. to earth instead of, you know, wherever you were in the cosmos or like these big insights, it's like, okay, well, what does that mean for your life? And mm-hmm. how are you going to live differently? Or what actions does that mean you need to take? And I don't want to push people to like figure that out quickly. Like I think integration is actually a lot longer. It, it can be years, you know, that people are processing a big experience. Um, mm. So they don't have to figure that out now, but that's the constant question of just like what how do you bring this into life and how are you different because of it and how are you acting differently is there a danger in rushing it you know because i hear and i'm not i'm not trying to slam anything i see out there in the internet world right but you see a lot of integration circles that people will have a a ceremony or an individual experience and then a week or two later they're having this big integration circle Mm -hmm. is it is it possible that you know that doing it too quickly can also kind of overwrite override. I think so. Yeah, I definitely mm. think so. Especially like trying to put words to it too quickly. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd say it's dangerous, but it, it just misses the point. Like a lot of this is pre-verbal or, um, you know, beyond words and, and using language. That's just like a specific part of our brain that we're trying to bring in. And like, it's just so limiting. And so even being able to talk about it, um, too soon, I think is not necessarily a good thing. And so just letting people have their time, like maybe they want to write their own words and not worry about how it sounds or if it's making sense. Um, that's fine. But yeah, I think 
not pressuring yourself or others to explain it with words. Yeah. That's an excellent point. Cause I've had like a post ceremony experience where I sit around, everybody's talking mm-hmm. and using words. And I'm just like, wow, I don't, I don't have these words. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't do this. And, and I start feeling like, well, maybe I didn't have a good experience. Maybe mm-hmm. my, my experience wasn't right. Mm-hmm. You know, or maybe my experience was light or just, you know, whatever, something was wrong with my experience. Mm-hmm. And then later things start, you know, kind of starts coming together and then I can sit down and, and, you know, yeah. bang out a journal entry or something like that, where it just it kind of clicks in my mind. Yeah. And it may not be a whole lot later. It could be a couple of days. Right. You know, but right after the ceremony sitting there, everybody talking, that's just, I'm just like, well, I'm not ready. This is not, I'm still not, uh-huh. I don't I still understand what happened. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, definitely just taking your time with the words about it. Um, and I think like integration groups, I've talked with some other people about one way to do it is just to be together. You don't necessarily have to talk about it. Like there's um, mm. a group I know that does like walking meditation. So like they've all had either an experience together or separately, but then they get together and they just, they are together, but they're not talking about what yeah. happened. And that's integration, you know, just being in the presence of others who have, who are on a similar journey, thinking about whatever they're thinking about together, but separately, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Another tool I like to use with people is um, like if art, you know, if you're either you like to draw or paint, but I definitely don't like to draw or paint, but um, doing a vision board, like where you just cut things out of a magazine. So it's just more like symbols or images instead of words that mm. kind of can tap into helping you make sense of an experience without having to use that part of your brain that like needs to name it or label it with a word, you know? That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause so many people are visual. I was just talking to a friend of mine today and I was telling her, I see things more in like graphs and charts Mm-hmm. you know, uh, like a flow of connected things as opposed to like an image of something or words. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I like that. Yeah. Um, so the last question I have for you, just kind of a, a general question is, uh, and then, then the actual last question is, you know, what else, what else have I not asked you? What else do you want to share? Mm-hmm. But my last official question for you is the notion of a stigma around psychedelics. So when you tell somebody that you are, you know, a psychedelic integration therapist or psychedelic assisted therapy or psychedelic therapy, psychedelic, whatever, mm-hmm. um, a, a, a user of psychedelics, you know, I mean, it, out on the playa, nobody's going to question you. Right. But when you get back into the the default world and people are like, Oh, what do you do? It's like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a therapist. I'm a counselor. And, and I work with ketamine psychedelics. Do, mm-hmm. do you ever get negative reactions? Do you ever get echoes of the the stigmas that are out there around these, these topics? I think I'm in a little bit of a bubble because I don't, um, I think, you know, just the therapists I surround myself with and the, my, a lot of my friends are therapists and they're all doing the same things. And, and so I don't really feel that much, but I am in a larger therapist networking group. There's like 300 of us. And Mm -hmm. I posted, I think I posted a talk I was doing at a conference about psychedelics. And there was a couple comments of like, these are scheduled drugs and, you know, and I just kind of cited some articles about what's happening. Like they just clearly did not know 
what's happening in the field. Um, and they should know as a licensed clinician, they should know what's happening in the field. And so I just saw it as an opportunity to educate, but so it's really rare, but I think I'm in a little bit of a bubble down here in Tucson and with my friends. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, the bubble part, it, you know, maybe sounds like it, like it's contained, but I don't think that's the case. I think you're out there talking about it and mm-hmm. spreading the word. So you're, you're surrounded by good people, but I don't, I don't think you're in a bubble. I think the word is getting out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And I know when I went, there was an Arizona psychedelic conference in mm-hmm. 2018 or 19 up here in Phoenix. Yeah. I went to that. Oh, awesome. Maybe, maybe that is where we met. The, yeah. Maybe <laughs> that is where we met because I just remember being at that conference and meeting so many um, people from the clinical and psychological and medical community. Uh-huh. And I just thought, oh, this is going to be a bunch of psychonauts, right? We're all coming here to talk about our trips and learn stuff. Uh-huh. And I felt like every single session, there was a, a professional like you sitting next to me. And I just, even for me, I was like, oh, wow. Uh-huh. So what, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, and so I, even then I, I didn't have it. That stigma was still kind of rattling around inside my brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right, Kate. So what, what have I not asked you? Is there anything, anything else you wanted to get out there that I didn't ask you or anything that we need to, to button up? I can't think of anything. Okay. Yeah. Well, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so Thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to do this. I'm really glad that we connected on this and, and the stuff you shared um, especially the non-ordinary states of consciousness, which always gets me going, but I really appreciate your, your knowledge and your wisdom on all this stuff. And just to really appreciate your time. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Stuart. That concludes this edition of the stoned ape reports. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at stoned ape comedy and subscribe to our newsletter at www.stonedapecomedy.com. Again, thanks for listening and catch you next time. Stoned apes.